three, right? So, um, obviously, uh, super excited inaugural first ever podcast. Uh, awesome. And I'm sure that many people sat behind one of these mics before and said inaugural first. And then it was either the last or it went really well. So I'm going to hope mine goes really well. We'll it see. We'll see. I'm, I'm pretty lazy. So we'll see. Um, really what the, the whole point of this podcast for me was connecting the dots between what I feel are four different aspects of, of like martial arts or combatives. You always hear people talk about like self-defense, right? And when we, we talk about self-defense, we think of one thing. Karate. Yeah, yeah. Your karate, well, you know, just a hard-skilled martial art, right? And being a younger person, yeah, sure, like that's going to be enticing. But as you get older, you start to realize there's so much more right whether you know you're coming from a military background or you're trying to get into the true aspects of self-defense well that's just like like one part of the equation right the next is like can i work a type of weapon you know and for most people that's either going to be a knife or that's going to be a gun all right so that's another aspect of, of to me like what a combat athlete is and then as injuries start to happen yep. Then you start to go, okay, well, crap, there's more to this. Like, man, now I have to act like an athlete. Like, I have to be like an athlete, whether I'm having to go through surgery or whether I'm having to, um, you know, go through some type of rehab to get yep. myself back on the mats, right? And those aren't things that, that are, again, not taken into the equation when you think about that. And then lastly, for me, I always go with the test, right? Like, how does this all really work? And for some people, they're having to test it on a daily basis, whether they're you know, first responders mm -hmm. um, of any sort, like your police, you know, a medic, a firefighter. I mean, you think about what they're having to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Yep. I mean, they're having to implement portions of this, and we'll get back to that here in a minute, like when we get into the aspect of it, of the disconnects there, right? Sure. But also, you know, you got your military um, guys that are, you know, if they're if they're downrange, yeah, they're, they're having to do a lot of this. Um, but for the rest of us, man, like we live in, homes and we have day-to-day -day jobs um you know so we're not out in harm's way and i'm like how do i know at the end of the day if any of this is going to work so in my head i always push to my students competition right mm -hmm. like you need to compete like it takes you out of that norm I'm like well jujitsu's hard enough sure yeah sure it does but you're used to it now right maybe day one through well maybe for some people ever right you you walk into that gym and it's overwhelming. I've heard of guys having to talk themselves off the ledge, you know, in the parking lot. Yep. Um, but eventually, I mean, you're still going to walk through that door and it's still be going to become a comfort zone. Why? Because eventually you just get used to rolling with your buddies um, and you, you understand like the flow and the push. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, and in a tournament, there's chaos. I was going to like, you know, you, you're going to have to watch a weight. You know, when you really do think about that, that aspect of really fighting someone you don't know, you get these bubble guts, these, yep. you know, uncertainties, you know, did I train hard enough to, you know, am I at this level? There's doubt, right? Sure. And at the end of the day, I'm going to have to step on the mat or the ring or the cage, wherever you decide to go. And then I'm just, obviously I talk a, a lot more about jujitsu because of that, but I think that that is the closest most of us are going to get sure to understanding it and so that that is why i want the podcast right like for me the podcast is about bringing all aspects 
of combatives into play. I just don't want to talk to the world champions. I yep. don't want to talk to the tier one guys that are kicking down doors. You know, I it, like I want to talk to to the people behind that stuff. Yep. Right. And then obviously I want to talk to those guys also and just get their take on, you know, where they're at and what their thoughts about 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 being a real combat athlete. And, and you know, I think you're going to get, you always get this, right. Uh, I've been working with the military long enough and was in the military, man, they are the hardest guys to, to win over, man. Such a, such a hard niche to get into. Um, you know, it's like, well, no, if it has combat, you have to be, you know, in real combat. Well, like what is real combat for you? Real combat is, yeah. Like, possibility of dying for sure a police officer sure like are we gonna say that theirs is not real combat sure. like they're not a combat athlete how about the firefighter that may be in harm's way all right now let's talk about like boxing that's a combat yeah. sport right you have the ability to possibly die in that so for me it's all aspects of it right Absolutely. like so you know i think we just get caught up in in like if it doesn't go bang pow or if it's not jujitsu or if it's whatever your your flavor is then no you're wrong and that's not true like there's one thing i've learned going through uh life is nothing is ever in in fighting in in combat in any of that type of aspect nothing is black and white there's a lot of gray in those areas yep. right and so you have like everything's adaptable so you know, if you're not willing to step outside of your comfort zone and see that, and which we do see that, that's why I want to bring that into play is we get people so fine focused in on one thing, right? That they're, that's all that exists. And it's like, nope, that's not it. Like I, I guess all the time it's like, hey, I'm a blue belt in jujitsu. Like I could like, yeah, but you, bro, you've never been punched in the face, at least not while you've been in my gym. Right. Well, I got punched in third grade. Cool. Let me punch you right now. <laughs> Big right? difference. That's how many years now? That's for some of you, 30 years, 33 sure. years. All right. It's been since you've been punched in the face. How did you react then? Yeah. Right. And so that's what I want to, that's what I want to bring in. And then obviously on top of that, you know, if you're truly that type of individual that's putting in this time, then you're going to get injured. Yep. You're going to have injuries, yep. man. That's just, it's part of the plan. It's like, hey, man, I'm afraid to get injured. Dude, you're going to get injured. Just you're in a, you are a litter modern day warrior. That's yep. what you are. Mod, like warriors get hurt, but guess what? They come back. Yep. Right now, some come back slower than others. Yep. Right. And I go back with, man, we don't have the best knowledge when it comes to physical therapy, surgery, Absolutely. the right surgeons, you know, anything like that. So Absolutely. as we come into this, man, that is my whole goal. And so having you all obviously on this first podcast is kind of, it's awesome, right? Um, and, and then we've got Harold, one of our, and I'll just talk about real quick. Um, I've got two amazing business partners, right? That deal with me more than they need to sometimes. Um, but they are, they get it, right? And so, you know, having you in on this, man, and and from a physical therapy side, and I'm going to let you get into all sure, your stuff, sure. right? But having you in here on this first podcast is where it needs to start, I feel like. Sure. Yeah, I could have had, you know, some retired Green Berets in here talking. Um, but the truth is, man, we're going to revisit this yeah. over and yep. over and over again. Why? Because it's that critical. It's that important. Yep. Um, so, you know, 
having you not not just on the podcast but as a business partner and you know one of my students and, and and an asset to our gym like i always feel like i'm spoiled you know and obviously man you know you're not a unicorn there's there's guys out there like sure. you just happen to be my guy right um but i know that you you're at like the highest level in your profession you know but i'm like he's not the know-all sale but sure. man if you're going to listen to someone Trent's probably a pretty good dude to listen to. So Trent, um, without further ado, man, if you like let our audience know who you are, yeah. all that stuff, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah. So uh, first of all, thank you so much. I'm super excited about this. This is something that has been a passion for me for a long time. Um, you know, I've devoted 25 years of my professional career towards injury prevention. And uh, when I started training jujitsu uh, over nine years ago, I very quickly saw a, a very big need uh, for injury prevention in the sport. Um, helping people really understand, you know, injury prevention is just not preventing an injury because this is a sport where injury is going to happen. I'm, I'm a good example of that, right? <clears throat> but then what do you do once that injury occurs and how do you manage that? How do you expedite your return to the sport? So uh, just as a little background, I'm a physical therapist by trade. I uh, did my uh, my bachelor's degrees, exercise physiology, master's degree in physical therapy, and I started practice. I uh, was in practice for about three years, went back, did my doctorate, focused in biomechanics and motor learning. And the reason that I did that is I was seeing a young athletes uh, tearing their ACLs. And so my first very big interest came around ACL or anterior cruciate ligament injury prevention. It's the injury most people know. It's the one that takes the longest to rehab. Um, and what I was seeing as a physical therapist and keeping in mind, this is back in the, the late nineties, um, is that the things that we were doing in rehab just wasn't correcting these movement patterns that we knew intuitively were putting them at risk. Fast forward, <clears throat> I developed a movement assessment to analyze these movement patterns that put them at risk. We launched it. We were teaching therapists, uh, athletic trainers, chiropractors, physicians, how to do this. Um, and quickly found out that th that we really needed to create a more objective way of doing it. Uh, and so in 2017, we actually launched a wearable sensor technology uh, that uses uh, 3D motion capture uh, to identify these risk factors in athletes. Um, we've now used that in over 450 facilities across the U.S. It includes the NFL. Uh, we have NBA teams that use it. We have NHL teams that use it a ton of uh, colleges that use it in high school athletics. Um, most importantly to me uh, is it's also used for return to sport. So listeners may not know this, but after you get torn, after you tear your ACL, you know, typically it's a nine to 12 month process to get back to your sport. And right now, uh, what is, what is used to determine if you're ready, you're at nine months. How do you feel? You feel good. Okay. Let's go back to sport. You know, there's no uh, objective measure for that. So what we've actually created... So it's just like pill in the band-aid. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and the doctor may have you squat. He may have you do a single leg squat and say, ah, you look pretty good to me. Uh, let's go ahead and go back to sport, which, which quite honestly is what we had at the time. Um, now what we do is we actually have a very uh, objective measure for returning these athletes to sport. So for me, that's a, that's a big passion of mine. When I came to start training jujitsu, uh, now in March, it'll be nine years. 
Um, and throughout that journey, it's just been amazing to me because what I've been able to do is really combine these two major passions of mine. And that is, you know, injury prevention, trying to help athletes stay injury free. And then when injuries happen is how do you manage that process? And the jujitsu community to me uh, is, and I don't know how else to say this, but it's kind of barbaric in the way that it's approached. Oh, it for appro sure. Yeah, it approaches it the way that we did in sports medicine, quite honestly, about 15, 20 years ago. And so, you know, in, in, and as a physical therapist, you know, trying to find a physician who understands the sport is very difficult. You know, when you go into your doctor and you say, you know, I train jujitsu, uh, and I've injured my shoulder and the doc says, well, what is that? You explain it to him and he's like, well, just don't do that. Well, you know, if you've been training for eight, nine, 10, 12 years, that's not the answer you want. You want to have somebody who's going to help you along that process. And so for me, that really started the process of creating, uh, I'm also an educator by heart. Um, I've written a couple of textbooks, published some research. And so it actually started uh, with me developing coursework uh, to teach physical therapists, chiropractors, athletic trainers, and physicians about what is the sport? You know, what is a triangle choke? What are the, what are the anatomical structures put under stress during that? And once those injuries occur, how do we progress somebody back to sport? So here's my question to you real quick. Like you talked about how, and I agree with you, jujitsu as a whole, man, we're like... Yeah, we're like 15 years yeah. behind. But I, I go back with this, like jujitsu as a whole in America is really new. So it, we had a sport yep. that came in and obviously it was just a whole bunch of young dudes going and doing the sport, right? Yep. Uh, and then as the injury started to, to come into play, you we didn't really have that individual. Like you talk about, right. you go walk into a physical therapist's office and they're like, oh, so you do karate. I'm like, <laughs> not, not even close, right? So do you feel like, that obviously meant the lag in our education is obviously because of a newer sport where most of the sports that, that are dealt with in America have been around forever yep. and we've had yep. decades of injury and knowledge on that. So, well, and, and two, I think it comes from just a lack of knowledge, you know, okay. in, in, in the sports medicine community, um, one, because it's such a, a quick and emerging sport, um, is that healthcare professionals really don't know about the sport. So when you talk about jujitsu, nine times out of 10, your doctor or physical therapist, if they're good, they're going to Google it to see what it is. And so they don't have a base knowledge, you know, and it's interesting to me because what I'm seeing, you know, so I travel around the U.S. Um, whenever I travel, I take my gi with me. And, you know, you were talking about that nervousness that new belts have. Um, I get that when I travel because I'm going into these gyms where I know nobody Nobody knows me. And, and we all know that some gyms are not friendly. Yes, yes, absolutely. I try to weed those out. Yeah. But but I'll tell you, it's it's it uh it also has helped me tremendously overcoming that anxiety. But what I find is that uh for physical therapists and 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 the healthcare community as a whole, they don't understand the sport. If you go to a, a physician, a sports medicine physician or a sports medicine physical therapist, nine times out of 10, they have access, if you're a baseball player, they have access to a thousand different courses on shoulder injuries in baseball, ulnar collateral ligament tears, elbow, it's an elbow injury in baseball. They, they know the cocking phases. They know all the different phases that those injuries occur because there's been a plethora of research out there about it. 
if you do a lit search on jujitsu and, and orthopedic injuries, you'll probably come up with just one full page, maybe 10 to 20 papers that have been published around jujitsu. So then we can, obviously we can say as behind as the jujitsu community is on understanding rehab, maybe to a certain point, maybe even the physical therapy field is, is behind on that. Oh, way and, behind. And your process now with what you're doing is to educate them on this. Correct, that's correct. Not, and awesome. I would say not only the physical therapist, but the physician community, okay. um, chiropractors, you know, I, I think they're all behind because there's just not that educational content out there um, to really help to bring up the base knowledge around jujitsu, what types of orthopedic injuries occur, you know, what, what is an injury that takes you off the mat? What's an injury that you can actually still do drills with? You know, how is that process from, you know, once you're done with your rehab, how do you go back to, to your sport? Because in baseball, you don't just go back day one and start throwing 90 mile, mile an hour balls. You have a throwing uh, protocol that you do. Um, you have training that you do to prep you a bit to go back to that. And there's a big gap right now in jujitsu between finishing your rehab and actually returning to the sport. So what I'm trying to do is, is really use science-based, evidence-based research, what we've done in other sports, because there's not much in jujitsu, yeah. in other sports to try to cr help create what some of those protocols are to help our athletes get back f faster, one, and safer. Now, obviously, as being like an educator and being, again, uh, I'm going to brag on you, one of the best, right? Nothing. Um do you see that people in that PT field are, are wanting to learn or do you see their resistance? Oh, they want to learn. Okay. Because, because what's happening is that as the sport grows, more and more clinics are starting to see these patients and they don't know what to do. And they're and quite honestly, there's not a lot of resources out there, you know, so I'll give you an example. I've got a, 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 a course coming up. We've got 450 people registered for it, and that's chiropractors, that's chiropractors, physical therapists, and athletic trainers. It is a hot, hot topic in sports medicine right now because there's not a lot of people out there who understand the sport, one. And two, I think that being a practitioner of the sport brings a whole new level of understanding because <clears throat> I know what it's like to go through those things. I know what it's like. I know the intensity of it, you know, and, and able to bring somebody back to that. Uh, I think you need that. Listen, and <clears throat> you know, we always go with this, like, uh, as athletes, like, mm -hmm. and there's, you know, there's, there's three of us in here that I, in this room that I know that have had surgeries, right? Yep. Um, I'm me still, included. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, um, I'm sure Preston has too. I just haven't got down there on that. So, um, but I didn't just go to any physician, No. Nope. right? Like I wanted to make sure that I found a physician that understood sports number yep, one yep right um because and maybe it's just my me but i feel like there's a difference between a guy that's doing surgeries on shoulders with guys that are or women that are in sports as opposed to the surgeon that's just doing shoulder surgeries right you know absolutely to, and so like i wanted to make sure that i had that option obviously we, i was able to find that and there in nashville we have a lot right, of good right. resources right um but I have found that the one physician that, that I've used, obviously he's done a majority of the individual's um, uh, surgeries, not just from my gym, but from a lot of gyms in Middle Tennessee, right? But he understands the sport now. Yeah. Like, yep. I think initially when we started coming to him, it was like, well, 
all right, what is this? You know, right. It's like it's like wrestling. It was my yeah. best way to explain yeah. it to him because I've fortunately I think I've given him way too much money with yeah. surgeries, right? But um, there's someone else in the room who's got way more than me. Like Harold literally yeah. is like, and, and he's amazing. We'll, we'll get with Harold here in a sure. little bit, but like. Yeah, Harold's had a ton of, of injuries, right? And he's always come back. Yep. Um, but I go with this. Like, in the same aspect, on the physical therapy side, again, I'm blessed because we have an amazing physical therapist yep. here locally, right? Um, and But I don't feel like a lot of people get that. And now, obviously, as the the art of martial arts is growing, and especially jujitsu, it's it's the fastest growing martial art right in, yeah. in the United States. So obviously, you're getting a wide range of people that are now starting to train. It's not uncommon for me to to run into people at tournaments that are physical therapists yep. that train. Yep. So man, for those gyms, dude, you guys need to like like work something out resource wise with yep. them because they are amazing for yep. that. So you know, yeah, yeah, and, and I can say you know. Um, you know, I, I am probably the harshest critic of my own profession. Um, and again, that comes from, you know, being in practice for 25 years. Um, I'm a big person on research, pulling research. You know, I, I do lit reviews um, at least once a month, looking at the current research. How does this apply to my clinical practice? And there's not a lot of PTs that do that. That being said, you know, what I would tell gyms is that if you've got a sports trained physical therapist, there's some things you want to look for. You want to know uh, the physical therapist that's one, been in practice a little while. Um, two is that they're a sports trained physical therapist. So some of the things you can look for is somebody who is an OCS, orthopedic certified specialist, a sports certified specialist, or they have a dual credential of an athletic training degree. Um, because those folks have had more extensive training in sports. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of physical therapists who start training as a white belt and then they want to start taking on, you know, helping the gym with, with, uh, clients and whatnot. And they don't, they're a white belt. They're a white belt physical therapist at treating jujitsu. That's the way you need to look at it. What you really want is you want somebody who is a, purple or a brown belt at treating jujitsu. I think we have a black belt here. Locally. We do. We do. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I don't mind, you know, Jay's a great yeah. guy. He's, he's, he's a great therapist. Um, you know, I, I personally, you know, I, because I travel so much, I see a lot of our guys that come in initially to find out what's going on. Do you need physical therapy? I send them to a physical therapist. I send them to Jay. Um, I also have a, primary care sports medicine fellowship trained doctor that I send to. He's a non-operative doctor. Um, and part of the reason I use him is because he's non-operative. Um, and he is going to do the diagnostic process to see, is this something that really needs to be looked at by an orthopedic surgeon or is this something that could be rehabbed? You know, and, and what tells me a lot about this guy is he actually came to my house and trained with me for a couple of days just to get a better understanding of the sport, the positions that we get into, um, you know, what's guard, what's, you know, you know, how do you pull guard, all the different things that he's been seeing in his office. He wanted to get a better knowledge with, came with a list of things, questions that he had that he wanted to learn. And that that's the kind of docs that you want. Listen, and those guys exist out there. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, like in Nashville, I wouldn't even absolutely. think that was even an option. <clears throat> So I know that's out there. I guess, like, again, it comes back to the education yep. like you're talking about and the lack of it 
for the most part. I think yeah. maybe on both sides. Um, and again, I go back with you know, we'll, yeah, we'll name Jay out there, right? Yeah, um, we'll definitely have Jay on the podcast yeah. just because. Listen, uh, my gym has been open all almost going on twelve years now, right? Jay has been involved since day one. Yeah, um, and the funny thing is, he's he's grown with us. Yeah, so that's why he's like I say he's a black belt. Yeah, as a a physical therapist for jujitsu. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he literally has single handedly pretty much done most of my guys and my girls in their rehab, right? And so, well, but let I me feel let like me he's let awesome. me build off that too because okay. one of the things I see in the gym is I see those that go to Jay, and I've seen those who've not gone to Jay. Yes, and what I see of those who've not gone to Jay, and again. Jay's a great therapist, but it also has a lot to do with the type of a therapist that he is. He's wanted to understand the sport, understand, get a knowledge of the positioning and training specifically for that, et cetera. And then I've seen other uh, folks in our gym who've seen a traditional physical therapist and, and their success has just been awful, you know, and I, and I hate to say that, um, but it just goes on and on and on. And, and they should be much further along than they actually are. Okay. As you go back with that, right, and you're talking about, and I, I, again, not everyone can get their insurance to go through Jay, right. which right. sucks. Right. Right. Because we do have a couple right. that I've had, like, my insurance doesn't go. But yes, again, I go back with, yeah, I don't see them recovering as fast. I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, and quite honestly, that's one of the things, and not to self promote our business, but at Combat Athlete Science Institute, one of my goals. Um, is to build out a national network of orthopedic surgeons, primary care, spe- uh, fellowship trained docs, and physical therapists, chiropractors, and athletic trainers who understand the sport. Because around the country, that's a problem. Because I guarantee you, nine out of 10 physical therapy clinics you go into, do you treat jujitsu athletes? Oh, yeah, I treat jujitsu athletes. What is it? Oh, I'll look it up, <laughs> right? They just, they have no idea. That's so scary. It like, what it it is it is, but it happens. It's just the, it's the nature of the beast. So I guess like the, the biggest thing we talk about is like, not all black belts are the same, correct? Right? Um, in jujitsu, uh, can we go kind of with like not all chiropractors are the same, right? Absolutely. Everyone has their specialized thing. When I go to like a black belt, like man, I'm a very good black belt when it comes to half guard. Yeah. A medium when it comes to full guard. It's just not something that I'm like, I can teach you. Sure. But it's not my game, right? Again, if you have someone that's, and we have the luxury at my gym of having like over 18 black belts there. So someone is stronger on that. So it's an opportunity for them to work through. I can, can we say that with physical therapists, you know, for a student that gets injured, if you go to go see a physical therapist, what, what are some of the things, yeah. obviously you said, but what are, what are some of the questions you should ask from an athletic standpoint? Yeah. Maybe they don't have those certifications, but that's all you right. can go to. Right. Uh, number one, do they know uh, jujitsu? Do they know the sport of jujitsu? If they do know the sport of jujitsu, how many athletes do you see? It's different if I see one jujitsu athlete a year versus I see five a week. You know, just your experience overall. And how long have you been treating jujitsu athletes? You know, so, do. I feel like maybe people are, might be afraid to ask that. It, it, oh, does it come off as you know, being kind of like? Absolutely not. Okay. I, I, I will tell you, uh, as a physical therapist, you know, um, and again, I, I started practice back in 97. And probably around 99, 2000, 
um, I started having patients come in and interview me uh, to come into my clinic because we had a big clinic. It was a huge sports medicine clinic. We were very well known, but they wanted to come in before they started paying their co-pays because this is in Phoenix, Arizona. Our co-pays were already higher than the rest of the country. So before they spent that $50, $40 per visit, their copay, they wanted to see, am I going to the right person? Why is it that my doctor is sending me here? So it was not unusual. I mean, I, I actually had used to have 30 minutes at the end of my schedule every day to allow patients to come in and interview us. Why do you want to come here? I guess I just come from an old school, yeah. you know, like mindset, I guess, where, where I was raised, where you don't question an authoritative figure. So it's like, all right, you want me to go to you? You're an, you are supposed to be an expert. So if you want me to do squats, I may think it's silly, but if you're telling me to do it, I guess right. I'm going to do it. Um, and sometimes we, we kind of know that maybe that's not the right answer right away. No, and I, and I would say, you know, if there is one thing I can encourage people to do, it's be active in your healthcare. You know, and as a parent, I'm very active in my kids' healthcare. You know, we think about that as a parent. We think about that. We we think about asking more questions. But yet when it comes to us, we don't ask those questions. Well, why not? Because our health is just as important. And so, you know, I strongly encourage patients to, uh, you know, Make a list. Make a list of your questions. Make sure your your questions are answered. You uh, know, and if they're not willing to do it, then it's you definitely don't want to be there because when surgery happens, if it happens, if surgery happens and you have a problem, that same attitude is going to persist. You know what I mean? They're going to be less likely to answer your questions. They're going to be less available, et cetera. So a question for you, like, obviously, we're, I thought we were going to go one way with this and sure. we're definitely shifting another way. Sure. That's pretty amazing. So I'm good with it. Um, as you talked about earlier, like you have an individual that you, you go send your people to, to make yep. sure like he's non-surgical, yep. like, is there a way for us to fix this without going there? And obviously that's ideal. Yep. Um, but I just feel like that's not always an option that's given to you. It's like, all right, you're, you've got a torn, this is torn. You need to yep. go straight to surgery. Yep. And maybe that's not always the case. That is not always the case. And I, and I'll tell you, you know, part of that comes from, um, my professional development, you know, uh, I practiced for a number of years in Phoenix, Arizona, and then I got recruited to Nashville, Tennessee, and then to Birmingham, Alabama. And when I was in Birmingham, I worked with Dr. Andrews group. Um, and I really got to see in, for those of the, uh, of the listeners who don't know who James Andrews is in the world of sports medicine, he is the, probably the top dog, uh, when it comes to sports medicine and just seeing how that practice ran, um, and seeing the processes that were in place, um, both from an athletic training perspective, once they got into the physician, how that was managed through that process makes all the world a difference of the outcome at the end. And the other thing that Dr. Andrews would always say is, I'm a surgeon, I can do good surgery, but at the end of the day, it's the rehab that really counts. And he says that all the time. And so number one is they had uh, primary care, sports medicine, fellowship trained primary care doctors who were the front line. If you were an athlete, and unless you had a ruptured ACL that was diagnosed on the sideline, um, if you were an athlete and you were complaining of an injury, you would first go to the primary care docs. They would screen that out. Is this something that can just have rehab? Is this something that we can do You know, an injection on, PRP, something like that? Um, or is it something that needs to see an orthopedic surgeon? And then you would go to the orthopedic surgeon. What it did for the practice is it actually made the orthopedic surgeons much more efficient because they were only seeing surgical cases. 
So then they could just see you, see what's going on and diagnose it and then schedule you for surgery. They didn't have to weed through those that didn't need surgery. And so from a process standpoint for the patient, it made it a lot better. And it prevented, it, it always, you always, and Dr. Andrews would always say this, you always want to go the conservative route. If you can go the conservative route, go the conservative route. Now, how common is that though? Or is he like a, a pay, like a pace setter? Like I just, Oh, he's totally maybe, a pace setter. Okay. I was like, man, I just feel like I don't, <clears throat> I've, I've not heard of that. It, yeah. Like, you know, and, and what you see, though. yeah. What you see is, um, you know, he's, they have the, uh, a fellowship that they do in Andrews Institute. They have a fellowship that they do. Um, and what you're starting to see is that more and more, uh, of your larger, really well-known sports medicine institutes are doing that. So, some of the really well-known ones are obviously Andrews. You have the Hospital for Special Surgeries. You have Rush Orthopedics in Chicago, Stedman Hawkins uh, in Colorado. You've got Curl and Job in California. All of them have a very similar process. So that's like all D1, like that's a D1 protocol for the most that's, part. That's a professional athlete protocol. Okay. And that's so, applied to everybody. And that's where I feel like our disconnect comes from, yep, right? Absolutely. It's like, all right. You have a D1, you have D1 professional that paid lots of money to have these kids yep. playing the game, yep. even at a college level. Yep. All right. Um, we won't even get into whether they get paid or not. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of money to be made for those kids there. Absolutely. They understand how important that is. And they've gone through that protocol. Why, why is that not transitioned to, and I go here, like I consider even a mid thirties, late forties, jiu-jitsu player a professional type absolutely. athlete why absolutely he's in there training on a consistent basis he's not doing what most 40 year olds are doing right but at the end of the day we don't have those resources or know of them i wouldn't i wouldn't say that they're not available we just don't know about them there and again we go back to your education thing there's no education yep. there yep well in nlc and in healthcare as a whole that's a problem you know and and we'll talk about this later but that's that's the hole that we're filling for the first responders. It's exactly what we're doing for first responders. Um, with our company, that's that's the hole that we're filling. Um, and I would say that that's a hole in healthcare overall. And part of my goal with us, with Combat Athlete Science Institute, is try to fill that for the jiu-jitsu athlete to create that, that, that continuum of care um, so that they are seeing the right person on the front end because because seeing the wrong person on the front end can literally add three to six months to your to your total episode of care or how long it takes you to get back to the mat. And what we do know is that you're 60% less likely to return if you're off the mat for more than four months. That's crazy. Yeah. So I'm going to tell you real quick, and we all know it's Angelina, right? She runs my gym. Yep. She's amazing. Her inch, obviously, she's been around my gym for a long time. She's seen... Listen, and we was like, man, your gym has some injuries. I'm like, yeah, the, any gym that actually <laughs> fights is going to have injuries. Right. I'm not going to feel bad about that. It's a part of the process. What we've done, again, on our side is we've been able to, and I don't, like, dude, I am the dumbest person in the world. This is just luck. I've had the ability to have some amazing human beings come around me that are way smarter than me that have helped us build what we have. Like, I, sure. I feel like, man, what Tennessee Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy has is not like anywhere else. And of course, you're, you're going to hear that all the time, but sure. I truly mean that. And the fact that, dude, I have an entire recovery room in yep. my gym. And then I teamed up with two awesome dudes, right? 
that are way smarter than me, they were like, this needs to be around the country, right? Yeah. So what we build it first here and we make sure that it works. Our students have benefited from it. Two is we have you, right? The 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 privial coral belt of of you know, if we want to equivalent sure. that to that, a coral belt of 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 physical therapy. Like that's just not at every school. Sure. Then I happen to have Jay who's a go to. Well, and and I get and, and I'm telling this story so you kinda of understand where we're at and, and the fact that we have some really awesome things there. Yeah. Angelina's insurance would not cover her to CJ. So obviously she's a young lady, right? right? You know, still not, you know, in that financial realm that she can just do what she wants. Well, I'm going to go and do my physical therapy with these individuals that my insurance is yep. saying. Yep. She was not saying, you know, this, she was seeing no improvement. Yep. Like she was just like, man, this thing's lingering, man. Yep. It's just, and I was like, just go CJ. We'll figure it out. And Jay was able to work with her. Right. And she understood, and I go back to this too, because it's an uneducation standpoint, but it's also, you got to be held accountable for you yes, to make sure that you get your stuff done. And man, if that means you have to come out of your pocket, well, guess what? You're just not buying a show your old gee this right. month. You're going to spend it on rehab, which is way more important, right. right? So she understood that and was paying out of her pocket to go CJ. She's back on the mats and just competed at Jiu-Jitsu Con yep. in Vegas, where three weeks prior we weren't really sure like she was still just unsure of it right yep. but going and seeing the right physical therapist allowed her to come in the game well so. you know in, in uh to make that even further um i just had one of uh, a black belt uh came from another gym uh professor uh, I'm, yeah i've yeah. known him a long time um he had been dealing with a neck injury and uh, this had just been going on and on. He was seeing a chiropractor, a physical therapist, um, wasn't getting much better. Uh, he'd been being treated, I think, for almost four weeks. Um, messaged me after something I had posted uh, about injuries in jiu-jitsu. Um, had him come over, took a look at him. Very simple injury, uh, neck injury. Uh, did a little bit of manual uh, technique on him. Gave him a lot of instruction. That's the other thing, too, is that physical therapist, a big part of what we do is educate. You know, this is what's going on with your body. This is what you need to do at home. These are some of the things that you're going to do to manage that. Um, and he just competed at the IBJJF, you know, and that was literally three weeks after I saw him. Yeah, and he beat me. We're not, we're still buddies, but he beat me. I owe him. <laughs> Anyways. But he, I mean, uh, before that competition, he had tingling and numbness down his arm. He didn't, he was not going to be able to compete. And in a three-week period of time, we were completely able to resolve those symptoms, get him back to 90% where he could actually go in and compete. You know, and that to me, again, just draws home to me, like, you got to get on the right path. You got to get to the right person so that they can truly find out what's going on and that they understand the sport and what you need to do as an athlete. You know, this is not, this is not something that you're going to treat like super conservative, you're going to be aggressive at your conservative treatment. And that's the approach that I take is that you're going to do it conservatively, but you're going to be very aggressive at that. So I go with this. I, I had a pretty significant injury as you did yep. right here within the last year. Um, I blew, you know, I, I tore my ACL, my MCL and fractured my rear tibial plateau. You were right there with me. Yep. Right. Um, and I go back with this, right? Like it, was a rough surgery yeah right and 
uh, maybe I'm just a wuss. I don't know. Both of my surgeries <laughs> that I've had, my shoulder and my and my knee, have been miserable. I mean, just from a pain compliance sure. standpoint. Now, I'll tell you this. I had my shoulder surgery before I met you, right? And the, I would say the pre, the, the rehab portion before getting to Jay, just being able to get rid of the swelling and some yep. of the other things, man, it was a toss up. Harold had to actually bring me over, you know, some, like some other things to help me out. Right. To, to kind of roll through with that. Um, and I, my swelling was out of control. Yep. My mobility initially before I even got to them was just hot garbage, yep. you know, and then obviously throughout the years I've got to know you and you, you know, you've, and we'll talk about this as you go on because of what we're able to offer, yep. but it's like, you know, the difference between compression sleeves and yep. in the elevating and just truly understanding it like that recovery, even though it sucked was yep. 10 times better. Yep. Right. And one was load bearing and one wasn't like my shoulder is my shoulder. Like I didn't, right. like I didn't have to use it at all. I had to, even when, and you know this, when you're on crutches, you still use your leg. Right. 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 And it's like, I was just, so I go back to that. It's like the education and the understanding of how it's out there. Yep. It's just that the the connect the dots are not there yet. Sure. Like I'm not going to say that there's not an industry out there. There surely is, right? But the problem is there's an uneducation from that portion, and I see you as being kind of one of those front runners because you just don't deal with D1 athletes or professional athletes. Um, I mean, the courses you're running now. Can you talk to us a little sure. bit about what you're doing right now? Sure. So as far as courses go, or yeah, as just, far as like who you're, you're training more now. Than... Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I stepped out of full clinical care probably about three years ago. My role is a national role. Um, prior to taking this role, I was, uh, in a national role for, uh, select medical, which is the largest health, largest PT provider in the country with over 1800 facilities. We had a, a ton of sports, um, ton of uh, pro contracts, college contracts. And I, I was kind of over our sports medicine innovation. <clears throat> In July of uh, uh, last year, um, I took a role with a company called Rebound. Um, and what we do there is we provide uh, care for first responders. So our police officers and our firefighters. And as I alluded to earlier, we basically apply that sports medicine principle uh, to first responders. You know, if you watch a football game and somebody goes down, you know, they literally pretty much know what that has happened to that athlete prior to him going back to the tunnel. And orthopedic surgeons evaluate him and athletic trainers evaluate him. When they go back in the tunnel, they're typically going to get an MRI. They're going to get some x-rays, things like that. Within 24 hours, they have what is called a definitive diagnosis. They know what's wrong with that athlete. If he needs surgery, he's already being scheduled for surgery. For our first responders, that process can typically take about three months. So because typically what happens is the workers comp, you know, they, they end up going to, you know, uh, an Ocmed clinic, you know, they, they manage it conservatively, here's some medication, come back and see me in a couple of weeks, let me know how it's going. By the time they actually get to an orthopedic surgeon, a qualified orthopedic surgeon for what their diagnosis is and get a definitive diagnosis, that can sometimes be three months. That adds on months and months of surgery, rehab, et cetera. The problem is, is that the longer it takes for you to actually get your problem treated, the longer the rehab process is going to take, you know, especially if you're a knee injury, 
you know, because you're still walking, you're still re-injuring it every single day that you walk around. So it just makes it worse. So for our first responders, we've actually cut off about three and a half months off of their total episode of care. We get a definitive diagnosis within 72 hours. We have a hotline they call. So first responder goes down, firefighter, police officer, we're, we're available 24 seven, 365. They call our hotline. They get a certified athletic trainer who's comes from professional sports or division one athletics. They triage that just like they would on the field. What's going on? They, they find out like what's going on. Is this a neck issue or is this a shoulder issue? If it's a neck issue or a shoulder issue, we get you into the appropriate orthopedic surgeon right away get you into that doctor in 24 hours our criteria is that we have a definitive diagnosis in 72 hours so that first responder is getting that definitive diagnosis in 72 hours if they need surgery they're scheduled within 24 to 48 hours what that does is it significantly reduces the time that they're off they love what they do we want them back on the field and the difference between a first responder and an athlete is that an athlete can go back to the game at 75 to 80%, and that's going to be okay because they maybe they miss a tackle. But a first responder, that can be a life and death. Maybe that's uh, being shot, or maybe that's falling through on a fire, right? So we have to have them back at a much higher level. So we, again, we, we only sign up with the top orthopedic surgeons, the top physical therapists. You know, we, we, we vet who all those providers are because we have a network um, because all of our folks come from professional or collegiate sports. We already have them. It's a close knit uh, network. And so, you know, our firefighters and our police officers are always like, well, why would the doc who treats the, the, you know, the pro team locally, why would they want to see me? Like, why wouldn't they? Yeah. Matter of fact, don't be surprised if they ask you for a hat or a shirt and have you sign it. So they can post it up in there just like they do with their jerseys because that happens. You know, and most of our doctors, most of our physical therapists, they want to give that back to the community. And especially now, you know, keeping in mind the time that I started this was right at the, the crux of COVID and Black Lives Matter. And so we just found that a lot of folks really want to give back to these people because they see how important they are for all of our lives, right? Yeah. Um, and being able to expedite their care back onto the field, so to speak, um, is even that much more important. So definitely, like, we could get into, I can get into, like, my frustrations with the police department and, yeah. and other departments that are that are literally, we'll get to that in, in yeah. another thing, but the fact that you have some departments now that are, opening their eyes and going, okay, well, like, listen, we need our guys back. Right. And the longer that we prolong that, the worse it gets. So are these police departments, like head departments that are coming to you guys and going, Hey, come help us. Yep. So, so it's funny. Uh, we do no advertising. All of ours has been word of mouth. Um, we have over 250 municipalities across the country that we work with, uh, which equates to about 70,000 lives. Are any here in Tennessee? Uh, Memphis is, is Memphis is one of our largest customers. They're also the seventh largest municipality in the country, and by far our most used uh, uh, municipality. Now, for my piece, uh, I run what is called our Vitality Division, which is our Injury Prevention Division. And so, uh, what we do is basically the assessment that I told you that we developed with athletes has applications to our first responders. And so, basically. 
Like we went to Memphis, uh, we uh, did this movement assessment on 1800 firefighters. And then we, I developed an app that has a exercise program based off of their movement. And then once I do their movement, it pushes it into the app and they get on their phone a workout with a video for every single exercise they're supposed to do to help them reduce their injury risk. That is crazy. Yeah. So hold up. Like obviously our like maybe if we have listeners, but we will. Sure. Right. Two hundred and fifty municipalities. Yep. That may seem like a lot. That's gotta be so it, tiny. It's, it's like one percent. It's like one percent of the of the the available market. So okay, so you got one percent of <clears throat> that's crazy to me. That's sad. Yeah, yeah and it crazy, is. It right? Is. It is. But obviously one percent is better than nothing. Yep. Especially for those individuals that happen to be able to be involved with those one percent. Yeah. Like the, so those individuals that are coming to you, obviously they've got to be progressive and open, right? Yes. And I feel like that's that's another thing that, that we run into is people don't want to see progression sometimes. Yeah. Like, right? Like, no, this is the way we've always done it and this is the only way we do it. No, that's Okay, that's dumb. Right. That's just the dumbest way of thinking, right? Um, I've actually got that from some police departments, right? Which are like, hey man, like I'll I'll come in and work some stuff with y'all. Yep. Um, I'm not just the karate dojo dude, right? Like I work with tier one operators. I teach combatives. Like this is what I do. Like I'm wanting to give back. You know what I get? Nope. This is the way we do things. This is all the way, we, always the way we've done it. Like yeah, it's not working. Right. Like you know, it, it, I always get told this. What what we did 10 years ago in the military, we're not even close to doing right now. It's, it's progressed. Right. And what we were doing last year, we're not even doing. We've progressed. But you you see this, and I don't know if it's a good old boy system. I don't want to throw that out there. I don't want to offend sure. them because I, I do love our, yeah. our, you know, our, our police departments and our first responders. But, man, you've got – these guys have to change their mindset, yes, man. absolutely. And it just doesn't come from – like, and I get it, man. Listen, I hear this all the time, man. Like if someone gets hurt during training, man, now he's on desk duty now right. he's out for a while. Right. But now you got a 1% that's coming in and going, hold up. Yeah. That's an excuse. We can right. fix it. Right. 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 That's crazy. Well, you know, in, in, uh, one of my personal missions, you know, um, since training jujitsu, working with these police departments, um, which by the way, uh, in my professional career, 25 years working with pro sports, et cetera. This has been by far the most rewarding thing I've ever, ever, ever freaking done. You know, I just have so much more, even more respect for what these men and women go through. So, but that's why you're I, one of the best Trent. Like, listen, I go back to this all the time. Some of the best dudes I know in the world are not living in mansions. Yeah. They're dudes that are, that are giving back. Yeah. And I go back with this, like, I get asked all the time why I get why I drive to Fort Campbell every day. It's an hour hour and thirty minutes each way, five days a week. I definitely don't do it for the money. Yeah, I do it because man, there's no better feeling, and that's not for everybody, man. Yeah. Right? Like, right? Some people aren't ready for that, yep. and I'm okay with that. Like, hey, if you're selfish and you want to do you, you go do you. Yep. But yeah, I could probably take my skill set, and you can take your skill set and go make a lot more money yeah, somewhere absolutely. else. But the truth is, man, I'm a patriot. Like, I love my country, and I want to give back. And you know what? Amen. If this is the way I can do it, you know, then that's the way I'm going to do it. And I feel like that's why you've been so successful, my friend. It's like, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, you know, in, in, in part of that passion in me is that I uh, have made it a personal mission 
that I want to introduce more of our police officers to jujitsu and the benefits of jujitsu. So <laughs> it sounds kind of funny. I always find a way to talk about jujitsu in my conversations with them. And I, I was just in Wisconsin. I won't say what department, um, but it's a department that's been going through some pretty heavy shit lately. Pardon my French. No, you're some good. Pretty heavy stuff lately. Um, I don't and, think we have two year olds listening to yeah, this. Yeah, and I yet. and I had uh, one of the police. I was I had lunch with the police chief, um, and the guys. You know, I'm 53. He's a couple years younger than me. He's been. You know, he's he's got a very good large position, taking over a department that is you know, had some, some major struggles with BLM, some riots and things like that. And I was talking to him about jujitsu and, and I said, you know, for me, I feel like this is something that, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. And I said that to him, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like officers are going to walk into an encounter with much more confidence if they have the skill set. And if they're walking into it with more confidence, they're less likely to pull a lethal uh, a lethal opportunity and, and rely more on their hands. And I feel like from what I see, praise Jesus. Praise yeah, Jesus. Yeah. What I feel Jesus. is that, yeah, that people go out of fear cause they're fearful. And, you know, I hate to say it, but I think a lot of, a lot of young white males are intimidated by African American males and they automatically get freaked out right? When they get into these confrontations and they're more likely to resort to a more lethal alternative. When in actuality, when you walk into it, I found with myself, knowing jujitsu and training it as long as I, I, I have, that when I go into a confrontation, it's, let's, you try to deescalate it because you feel confident enough that if you can't deescalate it, that you can control the situation. So here's where I go, like as, as a, an individual, not you're 100% spot on, right? It's as an individual that trains, I train all aspects. I, I train a three-year-old mm -hmm. and then I'm training a tier one operator in the same day. Like I said, it's like, I have to, I have to flip a switch, yeah. right? And sometimes I forget to, <laughs> I guess you can't tell three-year-olds murder, death, kill. I think that's bad. <laughs> you know what? I don't really care. Anyways. <laughs> Like I have to flip the switch, right? And right. I was going with this like there, there are definitely levels to this, right? And when I, I look at a tier one or, or, or a first responder, um, a firefighter, a prison guard, you know, eight, mm. you know, we can go, we can go down different rounds. If you if you're in the the field of of escorting individuals, your bodyguard, whatever it may be, right? At the end of the day, what's the most valuable asset you have? your mouth mm -hmm. can i talk myself out of this situation that doesn't happen unless you're secure with who you are right. and your ability i always go back to this man when the coals get hot some things just burn right, right. and if i don't know like what i'm doing man i'm lighting that flame way too fast yeah right and i put myself in a weird position but one i'm putting myself in a weird position that's detrimental to my department, detrimental to my family, right. more importantly, detrimental to myself because I don't have anything to back up on that. You know, like I go with a police officer, man, I get it. We don't train because our department doesn't want us to. Cool. Well, they don't control you 24 hours a day. Right. Go out and get your own training. Right. right. But I go back to this, right? Like why to, I was just like, why jujitsu? Why jujitsu? And I get back with this. In jiu-jitsu, you're going to learn some basic self-defense. 
self-defense. Like, how do I protect myself from strikes coming in, right? As a first responder, like, your first training shouldn't be jab, cross, hook. Right. Because that's what you're going to pull, and that just doesn't look good anywhere. It doesn't look good for you. It doesn't look good for the department. doesn't look good for the individual that gets hit. When we talk about jujitsu, man, it, it's like it's where 90% of street altercations in that scenario go down. Mm-hmm. Right, like if I'm a police officer, man, we're not, we're not slapping hands and putting on boxing gloves and boxing each other. Right, you're gonna be trying to go after my weapon, and I'm gonna have to try to stop you from doing that. Right, man, jujitsu is pretty good at that. Like if I'm striking, I'm giving yep. you, I'm giving you opportunities to work. We can all agree that in the UFC, man, people get lucky and knock out some amazing human beings. Mm-hmm. You never hear anyone getting lucky pulling off an armbar. Oh man, I don't know how I pulled off that armbar. Right. It just happened. But you can hear guys are like, I don't know, I closed my eyes and threw an overhand. It connected. Yes. <laughs> but, I was getting smashed. Sure. Right. So I go back to jujitsu is kind of an equalizer. Right. But again, you know, when we go back to this, it's like, why aren't they doing this? What, like, where, where, it's one, it's a machismo thing. Right. Right. No one, and especially I think like the, the military, <clears throat> first responders, those guys. There's a little chip that they have to yep. get past. As you get older, FYI, guys, as you get older, you'll get over that chip. Trust me, every yep. dude in this room yep. has had that chip on their shoulder. Um, but we're going to tell you the same thing that was told to us. Yeah, I got you, boss. Just go sit down, old man, right? Eventually, you're going to come back and be like, damn, he was actually kind of smart, yeah. right? I've had those those moments happen in my life. Where I'm like, why didn't I listen to that, dude? That was a, why? Because we have to live through our own decisions, sure. right, and our own consequences to become who we are. But I go back with, you have to get over the machismo thing. 90% of individuals that have walked into, I would say it's probably higher than that. I probably shouldn't go with percentages. But most guys that train jujitsu, their ego is like almost nothing. Yeah, for some guys in this, like, my guy's got an ego. Well, not compared to the average dude that thinks he can fight, right? This guy's at least smart enough to, to know, like, yeah, if this situation goes south, like, this could be bad. Maybe I should just walk myself out of it right that's the lesson that needs to be learned but it's hard to get to that lesson you have to let your ego go well you know and it's funny because i I was just recently again with one of our departments and i took some of the swat guys which you you talk about you know machismo those guys have some machismo and they're all younger than me bigger than me and uh we went and trained jujitsu at a one of the local gyms there i set it up for them um, and they were just surprised at, you know, here I'm a big hulking guy and, you know, you just kind of played with me. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's the beauty of the sport is that, you know, it teaches you that you don't have to have, and I know I get a lot of grief because people say I'm always using strength, but you don't have to use strength that if you use technique, you can actually control a much bigger individual and it really does not take you that much energy to do it. You just need to tell them your technique's stronger than theirs. That's all it is. <laughs> Jerks. Right? No, I no, I get it. So, I I mean, I kind of went off a little bit yeah. on like that jujitsu portion. Yeah. But your ability, I think, I mean, you're touching a, a lot of things, sure. right? With what you're doing with rebound. It's like you're coming in and you're dealing with first responders. Number one, 1%, like 250 municipalities sounds amazing. Yeah. That, that's such so small. Mm-hmm. Right. But you do have that one percent that you're able to go through. Memphis, thank you for being the leader yep. in Tennessee. Hopefully Nashville steps up, yep. Spring Hill, a lot yep. of these other smaller places. Like listen, we love our first responders. We love our military. 
right? But one, I think there's there's three things to this equation, right? You have to have a department that's willing to be progressive yeah. and, and understand, yeah, injuries are going to happen. They happen all the time. But if we're just letting our guys sit and not get seen by the best in the mm -hmm. business, that's silliness, right? That's just crazy. Two is the individual, you have to be able to to, to want to be able to take care of yourself, right? Like you, you got to be able to go out and seek other things, yep. right? But third, like, and this is the key element that's missing, and I go back to it, we are not giving them the proper training yep. to defend themselves correctly. So who are we failing? Right, we're we're failing not just that officer, but we're failing their families and a community and a community. I don't yeah. even think about that. Yeah. So, you know, for you to be able to come in again and and you know dealing with Memphis, going out there, you know, and I'm just using Memphis sure. just because it's there, but you've got a department that cares about these guys. Now, what are you seeing on the other side? Because obviously, we're we're talking about one percent of a of of a group that's coming in and going, hey, we want our we want our officers to have better medical thing. Yeah. Obviously with that comes what you have to be like, you have to hold yourself accountable to, yep. to maybe exercising more and yep. going out. How are you seeing on, on that side, those individuals coming in and having to do like, cause you have them doing kind of tests and yeah. like physical fitness yeah. tests. Yeah. Right. So how's that <clears throat> being perceived overall? You yeah. You know, you're going to have to so, liars. Yeah. Just to go back to the municipalities for a real quick second. I mean, part of, part of what we do is we show the department a return on investment besides just the, the uh, benefit to the employee or the first responder themselves, but also what is the financial advantage to the uh, department as a whole. So we actually show our departments uh, what that return on investment is. And it's, I mean, it equates to, for some of our departments, millions of dollars of savings. Um, for the individuals, you know, it's funny because, again, we did 1,800 firefighters in Memphis. And our uh, assessment is not easy. You know, it's it's three one-minute time tests and 83 reps of other exercises. So we do like squats, single leg squat, a hop, hop plant, all these different movements. All of which I failed already. <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, and, and I go into these, you know, these firefighters and I'm telling them what they're going to be doing. And and I get one or two responses. You get the athletic guys coming like, oh, this is easy. And then you get the really overweight uh, first responders like, oh, I can't do that. And then when we're done with the test, I get two responses. The fit guy's like, holy crap, that was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. And then you get the fit, the unfit individual that's like, Holy cow, I was able to do that. So for both of them, that becomes a motivation because for the fit guy, he realizes, you know what? I'm still at risk. Even though I work out and I do all this stuff, I still see I failed that miserably. And then for the unfit guy, it makes them realize I can do this. I can do this. I didn't think I could do that, but now I know I can. And the program that we're gonna that we're gonna do with them is going to help them improve all of that now do you you obviously you have to like because i i deal with this too you have that that growth mindset the individual that wants to learn wants to get better and it sounds like you have those two individuals right but you have always got the guys that it's snake venom yep and i always go when they call it, call it snake venom like yep. ah not not yep. doing it it's because they have a very closed mindset right yep. they don't want to learn they don't want to progress 
do you get those there also? We, we absolutely do. And you know, um, the interesting thing is, is that anything, anytime you do something, especially with the fire department or the police department, um, there's union involvement. And so, you know, ironically, uh, you know, again, I, I keep using Memphis cause that was one of our largest examples. Um, we dealt with the IAFF, which is the International Association of Firefighters. And the IAFF is actually the ones that brought us to the table because they saw the benefit of this to their firefighters and they brought us to administration for the fire department. So we had that support. And I met with the president of the IAFF after we did all of this testing. And he said, you know what, in 25 years, he said, if we change the color of a uniform, we get complaints. He said, in 25 years, we didn't have one phone call one email or one person walk in complaining about this program and it was mandatory. So that, that tells me one thing. And I think the way that we approach it is very important because what happens is that I have our team has one-on-one -on -one with each individual for 20 minutes during the testing. They sit down, we're hooking them up with the sensors and we're explaining the entire time what this is all about. When they're done, we explain why we went through these particular movements and why that is relevant to what they do. And more importantly, how we're going to use this program to change their results at the end of the day to make them feel better, move better, get injured less, and prolong their retirement. Because the average retirement for a first responder, once they retire, is seven years. Sounds about It's right. horrible. So, you know, we want to make it so that they can squat down and pick up their grandkids. So that they can still play the things that they want to do. They can still do the things that they want to do. But it goes back to personal responsibility. At the end of the day, whether it's jujitsu or being a first responder, if you want to be like treated like a pro athlete, you got to pre prepare your body for that. And, I, and I'll tell you, that's from the jujitsu side. That's one thing that I'm constantly talking to people about. Like, you can't just do jujitsu. Dude, you're 50 years old. You cannot just do jujitsu. You got to prepare your body for that. Because if that's all you do, you're going to tear it down. You got to do stuff outside of that. You got to do your cardio. You got to get your nutrition right. You got to hydrate yourself. You got you to do some kind of weightlifting. Yes, absolutely. And that has been such a faux pas for so long in jujitsu. Oh, you can't be a weightlifter. You know, I'm not saying so, you're going to be a power lifter or I, I knew where you're going. I, you, I'm not saying you're going to be a power lifter or doing max benches or things like that, but you have got to do an exercise program that's going to prepare your body for it. Well, so I go back to this, right? <clears throat> so we, we, and we'll do, this is awesome. Um, I always go back with that. Like guys are like, Hey, I didn't lift for a while, man, just cause I was recouping from injuries, but you need to lift. You need to yeah. have cardio. You need to. Like if you're going to be a true combat athlete and that's what you're doing, listen, if you're putting on a kimono every night, you're going in and technically simulating murder with your buddies. Right. I mean, that's just a terminology right. that we use, right? But technically like you're going in every night to go beat up your friend or get beat up. Sometimes you get beat up. Sometimes you don't. Yep. Sometimes you get a combination of both. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you walk out, you are still in a very controlled fight. Yep. So your body is breaking down and it's like, you need that strength to come back into yep. play. Like you have to eat correctly. I think those are, you know, again, uneducation is kind of right. key. And, you know, the younger dudes, if they're not like, if they're just hobbyists, I always go, it's like my younger dudes that are hobbyists. Mm -hmm. 
you'll see them eating whatever. I don't see that with the the younger dudes that are want to be competitive. Right. They're eating like pro athletes. They're 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 exercising yep. like pro athletes. It goes the same with the older dudes. Yes. Right. And, and more. And I would say it's even more important. Okay. I go with this. Like, there's a reason why there's a lot of older dudes at my gym still active in a competition mindset and in a fighting standpoint. Yep. Why? Because they're doing a lot of the equations. We don't have the the the, the essence of youth anymore. Yep. All right. So I got to be smart on my cardio. I, you know, my cardio changes up a little bit as as I did when I was twenty. Yeah. My weightlifting changes. Let's go with this. Like, hey, you got two options. You want to be a power lifter, or do you want to have strength, right? Because if you want to be a power lifter, you're going to lift a lot of heavy things, which are yep. bad for your joints in combination with jujitsu. Right. Like I've seen dudes just tear hamstrings doing a shrimp. I'm like, oh, let's go back to. I never see you yep. stretch. Yep. I don't see you do cardio, and you lift way too heavy. Yep. You know, and, and, but I think that all those equations are there. But then I, you know, I wanted to touch on this real quick with you. When you talk about the presentation, right? I think that's a key element that's missing. When it comes to like me training a tier one athlete or like, you know, a tier one guy, you're training a first responder. They're both alpha males. Yep. And guess what? If you come with alpha males with hard lines, did they buck? Yeah. Like you yeah. can't come in being an alpha male. You have to come in becoming an educator. Yep. And I, I've had to learn that the hard way. Like you're way smarter than I am. So I, I, you know, back in the day when I was trained, it was like, no, it's my way. This is the way yep. it's supposed to be done. And I'm like, all right, check this out. Like what I'm teaching you, man, you're not going to get it all. You're going to get what's necessary to you and you need to put it in your toolkit this could eventually help save your life. And I think when you go with those type of approaches yep. of like, listen, here's information. You do what you want to with it. I'm not going to shove it down your throat. You'll grab what's necessary for you. But when that happens, it's a mindset change. Like I just see it. Like, sure. you know, being like, I always say breaking into a tier one world as an instructor, right? is hard, right? Because you're being vetted 24 seven. Like, who are you? You're not one of us. You haven't done what we've done, Right. And it's like, you know, coming in, it's like, all right, well, you know, yeah, I'm not in your world, man. And like, even when I was your age, I wasn't in that world. Like you guys do weird stuff, but I'm very knowledgeable in what I know. And I can bring this asset to you and help you become a better soldier. Absolutely. More importantly, what I'm giving to you has been proven and shown to help guys get back. Right. And it's not about the fighting. 90% of the time guys come back, bro, I was in a situation and it was the calmest I've been, man. And I go back to my training. It wasn't, hey, I used these nine moves that you showed me sure. to disarm somebody. Very seldom is that. It's more like, hey, man, I was calm in some really shitty situations. And I come back to being it, to understanding, like, you know, I've gotten into jujitsu more. Like, yeah, I had to come to a couple of courses. But in the middle of that course, I found my love. Yeah. Right? I found my understanding. And so now this is part of who I am. Man, and it was able to come to the same thing in your world, yep. right? You being able to introduce guys through not just your knowledge of, because what are most guys fear um, outside of their machismo is injuries. Yeah. I don't want to get hurt. Right. You hear that all the time. Right. Man, what if I get hurt? Dude, you're going to get hurt. I'm not even going to lie to right. you. I don't know when, like, and it's not because we're a whole bunch of jerks. You are literally in the sport or in the art of trying to manipulate another human body. Sometimes it just doesn't want to bend that way, sure. right? So, yeah. If, 
so okay yeah you're going to get injured what are we bringing into play what are you bringing into play yeah it's going to happen but here's some ways that are going to help move you forward <clears throat> in a recovery system that may allow you again not to always have to go into surgery you're going and seeing someone on that professional side within a that 24 to 72 hour time frame it's like hey listen up no like if we rehab this and do it right no surgery right right but if you're that hard-headed knucklehead that doesn't want to go well maybe you go back to class in two days and tear it now we're in a full threat of going through there you know it's like there's some mitigation that you can do as an athlete again the education level there from an athlete standpoint is very minimal come along and again i'm shameless plug because i'm part of this group sure. you know but the combat science athlete institute like which we designed and obviously you're the main sure. push on this is it is there to help educate those individual athletes and more importantly a gym owner yes. a, yep. a, a the chief of fire department the the chief of police yep. You know, the, the three-star general, whatever, like, yo, listen. And, and and the military has done some things. Like, they've got a phenomenal weightlifting program that's, you know, it, they call it the Thor program. I know they've got some yep. other ones out there. The Thor program is like, I mean, millions of dollars have been spent on that program for the assets of Green Berets that I know of, right? They've got guys writing personal programs for them. And then the rehab area is huge why because tier one operators get hurt right right there there's some significant injuries i've right. seen some dudes come back just totally blown up and within a year to two years are back on the mats rolling right that just doesn't happen like i mean obviously that just doesn't happen overnight it's I mean, that's that's all people playing a role to get that person on the mat when i see someone on a mat from an injury back rolling yeah man it's a lot him but it's a lot of the people around him yeah. that allowed him to get there. Like you can't forget those individuals. Like, yeah, he had to have the push and he had to have that in the Spanish word, the ganas, right? Yeah. I had to have that like that intensity to get there, but without the proper individuals yeah. helping him with the rehab and the, the, the sport, like the physical therapy, the, the weightlifting, if all those aren't on play, that guy's not back on yep. the mats. Like Trent Nessler, who wasn't supposed to be on the mats for what? Six to nine months. Yeah, where were we yeah. at, Trent? Um, at seven and a half months. So you know, and, and it's interesting because it, you know, again, having been in this for twenty five years, I always knew the science behind it. I always knew the research behind it. I I always knew that these were the things I was promoting to my patients and my athletes. Um, but after my injury, um, it really, it was an eye opening experience for me. You know, so I had. Uh, posterior root tear, medial meniscus from from the uh, posterior to the anterior aspect. I had tore my MCL, uh, tore my posterior lateral corner, and I had what's called an OCD or osteochondral defect on my femoral condyle, all which are alone major injuries. <clears throat> um, it's a non-weight-bearing injury for eight weeks after surgery. On top of that, I had a displaced fracture, a handmate in my hand, uh, which I self-reduced myself after it happened. And then I had surgery, and then a week after surgery uh, from work, I traveled somewhere, was walking through an airport in uh, uh, a large airport on crutches, and uh, crushed my radial nerve in my armpit, and uh, resulted in 90% strength loss in my right arm overnight, <clears throat> which usually that takes about three months to get that fully back. 
And I was in a dark place <laughs> right after all that. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to be out of jujitsu for a year. Right? Isn't that crazy? That's where our mind goes. Right. Not like I may not be able to do like right. main, like Monday miss. It's like, right. I'm all about I'm jujitsu yeah. for a year. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I know Harold's in here and yeah. I know that I like injuries. That's the first thing that comes yeah. to anybody that's, I call it a jujitsu junkie. Yeah. Right. As soon as the injury happens, like, yo, I'm going to be out of jujitsu for like eight months. Yeah. I was like, no, like, you're not going to be able to work. You're going right, to have someone right. else taking care of you. There's right. a lot more to this. Right. So, you know, so what I did is I, I made a conscious effort to apply all of the things that I, I knew helped. So, you know, uh, we use Normatec. That's part of our recovery. Room. I used the Normatec systems. Uh, I was using blood flow restriction training, which we can talk about later. Um, I was super strict on my diet. Uh, which most people don't realize the impact that that has, especially after surgery. Um, I was super strict on my hydration and I was super strict on my cardio. And I did all of those things. I was able to get back on the mat at about three and a half months, you know, still doing a lot of, you know, low level stuff on the mats. Um, and at six months, I've been completely at 110%. And, you know, I'm, I'm seven and a half months now where I shouldn't be returning. I shouldn't have returned between six and nine months. Um, but I'm a firm, and I'm, I, I, turned, I, I turned 53 Listen, uh, in never, January. Yeah. Like as we're getting <clears throat> older, dude, I'm okay with saying my age. Want to know why? Yeah. Cause I don't know a lot. Like in your case, like I'm not as old as you. I'm right there. Yeah. But how many 53 year old dudes do you, you know? I, right. don't, I don't know a lot of 50 year old right. dudes that are built like you yeah. and that can still roll and, and and I'll go with this at a high level. What's high level, Ray? That's high level for him is man. He's not out there just checking the box. Yeah. He's fighting and winning and working hard. Like that again. That comes back to youth. Yeah. Right. Like what? Well, he's fifty three. There's no way he's training high level. What's your definition of high yeah. level? I know a lot of twenty three year olds that don't train high level. Right. Right. right? right. This individual is fifty three. He's looks. Amazing. No, no homo intended there, homie. Um, and I don't mean that in a horrible way. I'm just saying, like, you're my business partner. Um, but you're built. You're, you, you under, like, you eat healthy. You, you stretch. You obviously rehab correctly. Right. You, you train with purpose. Like, that's high level. Right. So tell me what a, tell me what a, a, a professional athlete's doing all those right exactly right. So how is that not high level? Right. And I go back with that. So when someone tells me like. Dude, I train high level. All right, well, what's your high level? Man, I train nine times a week. Okay, what's your nutrition? Well, McDonald's, you're not high level. Right. Sorry, you're not high level. Right. Man, what are you doing during injuries? I just wing it. Dude, we're past that right. era. Right. Jiu-jitsu has been way past the era of let's just right. wing it. Right. If you're doing that, then you're just being stupid. Yep. Okay, like, hey, man, I think I tore my, I heard someone pop my knee. Okay, cool. Go see the doctor. Right. No, I think I'm just going to roll it out. Like, no, it hit. You know, and, and you bring a good point. You know, what I always tell people is that instead of being react reactionary, okay, injury happened, I'm just going to wing it. I'm going to go until I can't go no more versus proactive. I always tell people the more proactive you are, the less likely you are to spend more time off the mats. So if you feel that pop in your knee and it swells up, you need to do something about it. You know, whether that's ice, anti-inflammatory, or you see somebody for it, you need to be proactive on that. The The faster an injury is seen, the faster your recovery is. So I know we're jumping around, but all you jiu-jitsu guys, right, again, coming from individuals that are a little bit older 
and did the dumb stuff, yep. right? Just because we didn't know any better. Like, again, just because we did it 20 years ago doesn't mean it needs to be that way again. Right. And I go back with that whole closed mentality. You have to be willing and open to just accept it. So all you new guys, like, don't don't rush through an injury, man. Like, one day off the mat and guess what? A copay? That's an okay yeah. thing, man. Like, lay off the nine geese that you just bought in yeah. a year. Put some of that towards rehab stuff. Like, I'll get, we get that all the time. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's kind of expensive. Bro, I just saw you buy, like, two new geese. Yeah. It's not expensive. Your priorities are different. Right. Like, I'm... Listen, and I obviously buy a lot of dumb stuff, but I will never say that anything rehab I've ever bought was dumb. I bought yep. a lot of dumb shoes, a lot of dumb guns, a lot... But I can honestly say, well, I've never bought a dumb gun. Why did I just say that? <laughs> Someone kicked me in the balls. I've never bought a dumb gun anyways, by the way. Um, but I go back with like you, this younger generation, I mean, you can't work through it, right? And if you do and you're stupid and you're not going to listen to us like most young people don't, including us at some point, yep. Yep. right? You have networks out there. Number one, uh, again, you know, Trent is building this amazing network of, and I know that's what we're wanting to do with Kaze yeah. is we want to have an, 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 a, a network of physical therapists that you can come to our website and you can go like by state, like, yeah. oh, all right, this individual has been through some of Trent's training and yeah. some of that stuff, or, you know, he's been, rec you know, whatever it may be, but you have that access, right? We're just not in an era anymore that you need to work through an injury or be stupid. You pop a knee and t sit out for a minute. Yep. Right? Well, I got a fight coming up. Okay, who cares? Yep. You're, number one, or who? how much are you making for this fight? Oh, it's an amateur fight? Get the fuck mm -hmm. out of here. Right. <laughs> Go get your knee seen. Right. Or hold up. You're doing the Atlanta Open? Again, get the fuck out of here. Right. Go, Go see, let's go get you fixed so that we can get you ready for the worlds. Or, right. hey, you know, we don't need this amateur fight. Let's take a rest, man, and let's, six months, let's pick it up. Like, what What are you going to learn off that? That you can fight injured? Like, you're always going to fight hurt. Right. Like, I don't know anyone that's, <laughs> that's always going, like, man, I, yeah, I just don't want to get, dude, if you're not hurt doing jujitsu, you're doing yeah. jujitsu wrong. Yeah. I don't, or maybe, yeah. maybe I'm doing jujitsu wrong. I don't know. But, you know, I, that just drives me crazy. Like, oh man, I'm I'm hurt. I don't know if I should compete. I'm like, bro, we're all hurt. Are yeah. you injured? Right. Hurt and injured are two different things. Yeah, like my body hurts, my knee hurts, my soul hurts sometimes. Right. But like, if I legitimately am injured, I can't put weight on my leg. Well, okay, then cool. Yeah. Let's 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 back off from there. But that's a big thing too. It's like a lot of those I'm hurt are just like I'm constantly fighting every day when an people, injury i can't do that i have to rest yeah and people need to realize that you need to invest just as much in your recovery as you do in your sport so you know whatever you're spending on your geese whatever you're spending on your private lessons or whatever you should also invest that into your recovery and when i say recovery i mean things that are actually helping you recover faster science proven not a lot of that snake oil or bs that's out there you know, things that are proven, you know, nutrition, you know, you should, you know, the human body is a walking chemical reaction. And if you put a bunch of crap chemicals into it, you're going to get crap out. Hence my heartburn today. Yes. So, I mean, the, the, the nutrition piece is absolutely critical, but the other piece is some of these recovery things that are out there. You know, um, I tend to use a lot of hyper ice equipment because 
you know, I've used Hyperice ever since they came on the market. I find their products very reliable. I find their products very uh, evidence-based. Um, but, you know, something as simple as a, a Hypervolt percussion gun, you know, and to help release soft tissue uh, stress, to help, you know, myofascial release. I mean, you know, you need that stuff. You know, a uh, couple of stats for you. Uh, as little as 1% dehydration results in a 10% decrease in performance, one, and increase threefold your risk for injury simply by being dehydrated. Can you repeat that again for One, all our... Yep. Yeah. 1% dehydration, 10% decrease in athletic performance, and a threefold increased risk for injury. The easiest way to know if you're hydrated is the smell and the color of your urine. Outside of like asparagus or <laughs> you know your, your vitamin packs... You know, it should be relatively clear um, and it should be relatively odorless. Hence, the military has a right drink water. Right, right. You know, so, you know, Sometimes. that that piece alone does a tremendous amount. On top of that, your, you know, your nutrition, making sure that you're getting good protein, clean protein sources, you know, not fried foods, not your high sugars, not all that stuff. Um, and then also, you know, some of the recovery stuff, you know, like a Normatec system, sitting in a Normatec system, the compression sleeves that we talk about there, most people have seen them. They're, they're, uh, they're sleeves that go from your feet all the way up to your hips. They blow up with air. They do this cyclic compression as little as a 30 minute cycle. in that is the equivalent of a 12 hour rest cycle, 12 hours in 30 minutes. That's why every pro team uses them. So I, the, the Norma tech was my saving grace. Yeah during that like those first four days after Amen. surgery right Amen. like i was sitting in that thing six seven times yep. a day at 30 minutes obviously i didn't have it at the highest level sure. to go to i had it kind of low but man it just kept the swelling down and it keeps your pain down my pain down and then when i went to see jay you know for my first visit he was like man like we've got some mobility on that yeah I was like, oh, you know, and then I use the blood flow restriction yep. cuffs during my rehab. I mean, and again, these are all things that are part of what our company's doing, right. right? From an education standpoint. So, you know, we have so much, like we could talk about so much training. It's ridiculous. I could yeah. have you on here for yeah. probably 50 hours and it still wouldn't be enough, sure. right? Um, I, I, and I come back to you and one of the biggest questions I wanted to ask you today as, I've, as we've talked with all this is, you know, we get back with how there's levels to this, right? It's like you, you have to have, I think a whole bunch of working equations in order for this individual or a said individual to be able to perform at its, at his or her best. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to have the support from an external standpoint What if that supports my spousal support or, you know, my, my company, my business, my, my department is putting time and money into making sure we're there. I mean, I think that that helps. Yeah. Right. Two is like the where for all and the, the understanding to understand, I don't know everything and that's okay. And I need to educate myself on things, whether yep. that education comes from the sports psychology standpoint, because that's, that yep. is involved. And yep. I go with, listen, there's a reason why, you know, at the highest level of the military, they have sports psychologists working with yep. these guys. Absolutely. Why? Because they have like, they, on top of that, there's psychology that's involved in this. Absolutely. There are a million mini fights that are happening, whether you're doing jujitsu 
or if you're out clearing a room, like in that moment, there's a you're you're you have two parts of your body, the good and the bad, and they're they're internally battling each other. You didn't prep enough. No, I'm good. You're gonna lose. No, I'm not. Like there's a million little battles that are going in there, right? Sure. And so you know, I, I go back with like. I have to have the, that ability. I have to have that sports psychology, that 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 aspect of 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 knowing that I can perform, right? Well, let's talk about weight and and food, right? Like weight training and and proper nutrition, like yep. that has to be in play. If you're listen, combat athlete to me, whether you're getting paid millions of dollars by the NFL or you're your two stripe white belt that's six months into jujitsu. Yep. You're a pro at your own level. So these have to be in the equation for me to continue my journey. Yep. You know, the rehab portion of it during injuries, right, is going to be super key. But the last and most important thing is I have to hold myself accountable. Yep. Because if none of those are in play, then I'm responsible for me. Yep. Right? If those aren't offered to me, is and again, unless you're part of a, a high-level military, a, a D1 school, a professional team or a 1% of a department that gives a crap about right. you in the United States, you're going to have to go out and seek all these on your own. Absolutely. You're going to have to go find your own sports psychologist or guru. I always go with this nine times out of 10, it's your jujitsu instructor, right? Like we wear a lot of hats and not that sure. we want to, but like we're there to help push you and, and make you better and, and to challenge you. That's our job. Right. Right. It's not to tell you we're the best and you should only listen to me. It's to educate you on like, man, there's so many parts of this, right? You have your ability to get equipment, whether it's, you know, Normatec sleeves, yep. you know, blood flow restriction cuffs, percussion massagers, get that. You go get a gym membership, lift weights, get some kettlebells at your house, do whatever. All right. Then nutrition, that's a no brainer. Right, like we know this as as athletes, the food that goes in gives you the fuel that comes out, man. And listen, if I'm eating well, I perform well. If right. I'm eating like crap, which I did over Thanksgiving holiday, right. I'm not gonna lie to you. The other day's open mat almost killed me. <laughs> I got up and I was like, All right, that was horrible. <laughs> but I go back with like I'm at an age now when I don't have a good training session. I'm not upset about the training session. I, I come back and try to figure out why my right, training session right. went south. Man, my legs were tight. I should have used a percussion massager. Yep. I should have stretched. You know, um, you know, did I did I get into Normatec the yep. night before from the day before his training, or did I come in like hot garbage? Again, I'm almost fifty, so yep. I need the torn. I need the Normatec sleeves. Right? A young kid can recover faster than me. I can't. You bring up a good point. I think that is that the older we get, I, I, I no longer call it age, I call it maturity. The more yes. mature we get, um, the more important this stuff is. Because I, I find as, you know, I've, I've been weight training for 43 years, you know, and, and I find that the older I get, you know, the less um, total weight I can lift, which is not important for me anymore. Um, but also the, the, the stricter I have to be about my cardio, the stricter I have to be about my hydration, the stricter I have to be about my nutrition, because I find that when I vary from those things as an older individual, that I feel it quicker. When you're 25 years old, man, you can recover like that. I mean, think about all the nights that you would go out till two o'clock in the morning and get up at eight o'clock and go to work, right? You can't, I, I couldn't do that today. 
I, it would it would take me three days to recover from that. But I do get the younger guys that'll kind of fight us sometimes on the recovery stuff. I'm young. I'm like, yeah, don't be stupid. Like, all right, Amen. that's fine. Like, okay, you're young. You still need, like, listen, you are going to perform better than the other 23-year-old that's saying, I'm young. I don't need to get in the Norman Tech sleeves. And obviously, because we have such an older group of dudes at our gym, yeah. um, I think that our younger generation watches us and they learn better from us. I think that's why we have such great younger athletes right. at our gym. Because they're like, well, if I'm, when I was growing up in martial arts, we were all the same age. We didn't have black belts around. Right. And we, we drank, we partied, and we beat each other up. Rite of passage, maybe, you know, OGs as they like yeah. to call us. But there aren't many of us left. Why? We all burnt out or got right. hurt. Right. Right. So just because that's the way it is or should be is not the way it should be for you. So like I look at Alex, I look at Sam, I look at some of these younger guys, man. It's like if they're doing all the right things, right. there's a reason why those guys are at a high level as opposed right. to the hobbyist who's like, I don't need to do any of that, Grandpa. You go chill out and go sit in your little Norma Tech sleeves. I'm going to go out and do me. Right. Right. Okay, well, listen, that Grandpa is in here six days a week. You're in here two or three because you're partying and you're, you, oh man, I'm too sore from yesterday's training. I hear yeah. that all the time. Yeah. You don't hear old dudes doing that, man. I say all my, and I say old dudes, you know, guys that have in their mid thirties or older that have families, they have every reason why they shouldn't be right. at the gym. Man, I, mama bears mad because I'm, <laughs> I'm here. The kids, I'm, you know, but they understand the importance of, of why they're doing it. Yeah. Where I think in youth, I go back to this all the time. When you're younger, you fight for the wrong reasons. Yep. You, you fight for your place in the world, like your place at the dinner table, right? You fight because you want to show you're the toughest, you're the best, you know, to impress everyone. As you get older, you're not fighting for any of those things anymore. I'm not the toughest. I'm not the best, right? I, I don't have anything to prove to the world. I'm doing this for me. Right. And I think that's a huge change. Sure. So that guy that's showing up in his mid thirties, four to five days a week, even though he may not be the highest level competitor out there, dude, he's pretty high level. That guy, that is someone that is, that, that not just is like taking care of himself, but man is taking care of the next generation. Want to know why? Cause his kids are watching. Yep. Think about this. We get to an age where we have our kids, and what, what do our kids see us doing? I know what I saw my dad doing. Right. On the remote all day. Right. Right? But I knew he was an athlete before I was around, but that's just kind of where I'm at. Yeah. Like, we are building generations of kids that are looking at us going, hold up, your dad was how old and he was still doing jujitsu? 53. What? Yeah. Like, my dad's like, drunk in the corner yeah right right i don't have kids that old yet right. but i've heard actually like some of my friends i started my family younger but um i've heard some of my friends talk about how like you know they're there's they've got teenage sons you got a teenage yeah. boy and their friends are coming over and like yeah was that like your like such your uncle like, yeah you know like yeah that's not your dad right because my dad's your dad's age and they don't look the same yeah Right? Like my dad looks like he's been drug over the railroad tracks. Your dad looks like he ate the railroad tracks. <laughs> so I, I go back with that. Like 
you know, that's where I go with the, the essence of youth. We understand, yep. like, I, I have to do all these things in order to stay on there, and I'm doing them for me. When you're younger, I'm, I'm again, your whole reasons for being in that gym, for the, I'm not saying all of them, but for the most part, my gym, my reason for being in the gym in my 20s was not the same reason yeah, for being in the absolutely. gym right now. I've got nothing to prove. You can beat me up good, and you're 24, and guess who's been teaching you since you were 14? Right. You should beat me up. I've given you 10 years of my knowledge, right? And I don't feel bad about it. That's the difference. I don't have to get up and be like, yep, whoop that young butts. Yeah. You know, his, that young book again, I beat him up. Like, I don't have to think that. But again, I go back with our rehab, our education, but we're blessed. And I always say this, I'm blessed again. We, we have what we have. So for our, our, you know, our listeners, you know, if you had any word of advice to give to them as a combat athlete. And I go back to this. What sure. do you consider a combat athlete? I know what I consider one. What do you consider a combat athlete? You know, it's funny because in, in sports medicine, uh, we, we define combat athlete kind of as more of your, your tactical athlete, um, your military personnel, um, and then also your, your, your fighters, your boxers, mixed martial arts, karate, jiu-jitsu, et cetera, grapplers, et cetera. So when I, when I say combat athlete, I'm taking it from a sports medicine perspective, and that's kind of the, the clumping that I put together. <clears throat> when I define it for our uh, physical therapists in our courses, um, I actually break it out by, you know, here's the different combat athletes from a martial arts perspective. And I tend to focus most of my material on treating the grappler or the, the jujitsu guy and kind of really trying to define that. So for me, it's kind of this very gross, encompassing uh, uh, umbrella. There's not a one size fits all. No. Okay. No, no, not at all. You know, and two, I think, you know, um, my message changes based on my audience for my younger audience, you know, for those folks I'm talking cause they, they, they want to perform at their best. And I'm like, well, what if I told you I could give you something that's going to improve your performance by 10%, would you take it? How much effort would you put into that? If it's going to give you 10% and I'm being conservative 10%. And that goes back to nutrition, hydration and doing the recovery stuff. At the end of the day, we also know that's also going to help them prevent injuries. It's going to keep them in the game longer. For our older athlete, our more mature athlete, I really relate that back to the injury prevention piece because they're not as concerned about performing at a high level. They're more concerned about being able to continue to perform. I love this. I want to keep doing it. How do I, how do I prevent myself from getting injured so I can keep doing it? And really encompassing my message around that. Because really at the end of the day, what you do for performance is going to prevent injuries. And what you do for preventing injuries is going to improve performance. I think that's the key right yeah. there. I think that's th that's the missing component. Most people, yeah. I, again, they miss it. Yeah. Most people come in, man. There's, again, I, I talk about their ability to not um, want to learn comes from fear, mm -hmm. comes from machismo, right? And pride, like, because machismo and pride are two different things, man. Right, like I'm a cheese mom, the toughest dude in the room, and no one can beat me. Pride is man. Once that breaks, yeah. Once we realize we're not, it's hard to recover that if you don't have the the right. And then obviously the fear of the unknown. I always throw this out to my students. Hey, we're comfortable. 
just remember, man, you walked in these doors at one time, man, and you felt inadequate. And I mean that, and I don't mean that in a horrible way or in a demeaning way, but man, anyone that's walked into a jujitsu gym, one is an alpha male or alpha female. It takes a lot of guts to want to walk through the door. Mm-hmm. But listen, man, there, there is a time when you walk through that door and go, what? Hold up. I'm about ready to pay to allow someone to try to break my arm and choke my <laughs> neck. Like, I need to think this process through. Sure. And obviously, everyone that you see walk when you walk through that door, everyone looks intimidating. Yep. Even the 14 year old kid that's spinning around doing breakdancing moves yeah. is intimidating. Why? Because he knows more than you. Yep. And if you don't have a good, again, presentation in the beginning, mm-hmm. we lose them. Yep. And it's, I, I go back with that. Like if, if they walk in and no one talks to them and I'm the first person to talk to them, it's the wrong answer. Yeah. There needs to, like, it doesn't, it can't always be Angelina. Yeah. Right. I would say like, listen, I have parents that'll get up out of the chairs and go, Hey, are you brand new? Sorry, Angelina's not here. Let me, let me get you to sign this. They, they know where our waivers sure. are. They give them the tour. Why? Cause they've seen Angelina do it. Right. Like, Hey, you know, like this is this, this is that, this is there. That is a calming thing. If you walk into a door and no one's talking to you, yes. and you're like, well, I guess I'll just figure this out yes. on my own. Dude, the likelihood of you even staying is almost like very low. And you, the, you, you may be man enough or woman enough to just finish your first class, but you ain't coming back, right? And it's not because you didn't like it, but the experience that was brought there. And I feel like in your world, if you come in hard in the pain, like you guys are all, you know, like you don't know, you don't do right. this, you don't do that. Did you, you negate most of your audience in my world with, with combat athletes or on the tier one side, it's like, if I come in there and talk crazy, how I'm badass, I can kill people nine different ways, which that has never happened. Um, no, like I have to good, good presentation. Sure. Right. Um, and I think that that's, that's one of the key things, man. And I feel like that's where you are going to blow this up. Like, I, I truly believe and feel that not just you, like on your personal side on sure. Rebound, but with our company that we're starting and with this podcast, like my goal is just to educate people, man. Absolutely. There's more to being an, what we call a tier one athlete. Again, what is tier one? Like, you know, we, we always put it with the best, right? Well, the best has levels. Right. And I'm okay with that. As I get older, I don't have to be the best, best, best in the world. I just need to be the best in my block right now. Yep. Like for me to survive and get out of my block, I need to be the best person on this block. That's that's pretty good. Or you know, from from a from a PT standpoint, it's like, you know, I'm I'm going to be the best at this, and that's like where I see you at. Like you're just your education level on my side, and watching my students be able to benefit from you. Sure is life-changing right like i as a gym owner i look at this i have a responsibility to my students and that responsibility is not just to provide them the best instruction possible but the best overall experience so if i'm not going to make money that's and i listen I'm, i'm a lot different than most guys man i get told this all the time you know like right you're never you don't make any money i'm like yeah man what's your definition of money right I don't want or need for anything. So like for me to put it, and at that time, we've gotten way better deals, FYI. I put almost an $8,000 recovery room in the gym. Yep. Right? 
not knowing like, man, I, I understand the benefits of it right. and I love this and I want this here. Maybe even on a selfish side for myself, right? But no, I want it there for my students. Why? Because I love my students. I want to see them on the mats as much as possible. I don't want that. If there's a reason that they're not coming to the gym, it's not mine. And what I mean by mine is I've done everything on my side. I've, I've given them a safe training environment. I've given them the ability. Like everyone has access to this. Even my parents have access to our recovery room. Who's to say a parent's not a tier one athlete? Sure. I mean, kind of in a way they are. Yep. They are responsible for a lot of things and they get injured just the same as anybody else does. So, hey, you want to go sit on that in the Normatec? Go. You want to use a percussion massager? Go. But if I can provide those things to my to my students that allows them to continue their journey, then I'm then I am rich. Then I am making money. And, and I tell you, <clears throat> you know, because um, I see a lot of our students, um, I don't charge for that. Um, as a part of my professional responsibility as a physical therapist, um, we're governed by the American Physical Therapy Association. One of the things that they say is a part of your professional responsibility is giving back to your community. So I have students ask me all the time, well, how much do I owe you for this? And you don't owe me. This is part of my responsibility giving back to my community. This is how I choose to spend that time giving back to my community. And I would tell gym owners that if you find the right PT, they're going to do that for you. They're going to, they're going to, what do you call it? A screening or assessment or, you know, and a, you can't call it an evaluation it's a, it's legally, a, but it's, it's a business, right. man. Like, and here's the deal. Like, I don't feel bad about using Jade. To a certain extent, just like he shouldn't feel bad right. about using me. Like, hey, Jay, I've got like all my students here. I want them to come see you. What can you provide for right. them? And Jay has been, again, you know this and you do this. Like you guys provide a, like something that's free, that's an invalu invaluable right. debt. And I will tell you that I haven't had one student that was like, well, you know, that was, they're like, dude, Trent is a beast. I'm so thankful he trains at our gym. And I'm like, yeah, you're not the only one. Yeah. Right. But. Like, that is super important. So important. It really is because, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been in there and somebody's got something that's been going on for two or three or four weeks. And just simply taking a quick look at them, not a full evaluation, taking a quick look at them, giving them some education behind it and then what to do with it. And then to see that it resolves in a week. The body's amazing at healing. Just it needs the right education and the right things put in place to make sure that that happens. That same person, maybe they had gone on another month with that same injury, and now they need a full rotator cuff repair. And now they're out. They're not. Right. And I always go with this. Like, I actually had someone ask me, like, how, do, how am I going to make my money back on this? I'm like, by retention. Yeah, you may Amen. not see it off the get-go. Right. But if you're, a, uh, and listen, I'm not a smart business person. Trust me, I've failed at a million things. But what I've learned is the things that I failed at, I was very close minded in. Like, I can go back with a whole bunch of things. I'm like, nope, not going to work, man. And if yeah. I go with that attitude, it's not going to work. And I, like, literally, I came with this, like, hey, you know what? I'm going to spend this. And if the worst that happens is I got two BA recliners with a yep. whole bunch of equipment, yep. I win. But what I find in is, and you've seen this in our gym, man, that room is always full. Yeah. 
And there are people that are walking out of that room going like, dude, if it wasn't for this, I, you know, couldn't have trained tonight or, you know, this helped loosen this up. So when, you know, if you're a gym owner and you're listening to this and you want to know information about this, obviously, again, shameless plug is part of my podcast. Um, You know, I also happen to co-own this with, again, one of, I feel one of the best PTs in the country is that talk to us, man, like a, a small investment into your gym is going to pay years and years to come because what's going to happen is that individual that you know didn't have access to this type of stuff maybe gets a blown knee and it's gone anyways right so yeah you're now you're losing a a, a customer right so it will pay off maybe it's not a for us it's like a bonus when we right. give a tour to our gym like hey by the way we have a recovery room and all of a sudden you, you build recovery room for what like oh this is offered as a part of a student or part of a parent. Um, we've got Norma tech sleeves in there's, you know, there's, it's basically to help you guys yeah. stay on the mats longer. And it's like, Oh, that's freaking BA dude. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and I get guys that visit from other gyms when I'm giving them like, you have a what? Right. And it's like, you can see in their head. And I'm like, listen, and guys, like, I'm not a multi-million dollar gym owner. As a matter of fact, I make almost nothing at my gym and I, I, like, I don't mean nothing, but my overhead's high. I have a lot of instructors. We have almost 400 students, you know, but when people hear that, like, oh, he's raking in a course, you can abide that. Dude, I opened up my gym in 2009 when the economy was hot garbage. No one was doing anything. It took me five years to get in the black. I mean, I exhausted my entire savings to keep this gym going. Where today you can open a gym in a corner and within six to eight months, as long as you're not stupid, right? you can be in the black. Am I angry about that? No, it's the evolution. Good. But what I will tell you is I'm on a consistent basis trying to up the game for our students. And so you as a gym owner, you don't have to have a ton of money, man. We've got different option packages out there for yep. you guys. Um, you know, reach out. Because the truth is, if you really care about your students, right? you care about the instruction you give them obviously because you're their instructor and you're giving them the best possible what are the what are the things that we see students quit on the most right one is not a good instructor not a good environment obviously you're responsible for that all on your own but injuries which we can't you know i can't just be like well i think we'll have six injuries this month they're gonna happen yep but here's the deal, man. If your students see that you care about them and you're willing to put these things forward and you have connect the dots, like you have a physical therapist, you have a surgeon that, you know, it's not that hard, dude. They want your business. Go out and find them. Yep. They'll be more than happy to do consultations for you. Like I don't know any surgeon that's going to be like, no, nope, don't, yeah. don't want access to 400 students, right? Um, you know, they want that. So Go out and you have to do some some research. But I'm telling you, man, our students are there. And again, if it wasn't for you, none of this would be possible. And I think that you're moving into to an, an awesome realm of the unknown, right? And I always go with this, like, you're going to have haters, whether it's on sure. the PT side, yeah. you know, yeah. whatever it may be. Yeah. I always go with this, man. Like, <laughs> if you're sitting in a chair and everyone is like, well he's right. the best right that's weird yeah right you're gonna have you know and i've heard this you know just not about not about you just in general it's like oh well you know my pt says it's like cool i got it bro good for your pt listen right. to him i'm just saying that 
this guy's got a lot of good information, you know, like what, one thing that I've learned about training like green berets and, and other special operators, man, is you got to have an open mind. Absolutely. Right? There's just Absolutely. not one way. Like there's several and not, you know, there, there's different approaches to it that make sense. I've heard you talk about other physical therapists like Jay, like you guys are in two different yeah. worlds. Like he's more on the, the clinical side right. where you're more on the, the science. Yep. Uh, I was called, the, I would say, I would say he's my geeky science PT <laughs> buddy. Right. But you're on that side. Yeah. But when I talk to you both, cause I, you know, obviously Jay does all my rehab yeah. for me, man, you guys are so in, in tune that you wouldn't even realize it, sure. right? Like I have a conversation with you and I'm let's, I can basically have that same conversation with Jay yep. and you guys are same sheet of music, even when it comes to your world of physical therapists, yep. right? It's a hard word. It's a hard thing to, to, to say like, I mean, that PD is kind of shitty. He's not very good, right? No one wants to like, Oh, you're just a hater. Like, no, no, he's really not that good. Or, Hey, that PT's good at taking care of like, 50 year old non-athletic individuals probably not the guy you want doing your physical therapy there's nothing wrong with that right right? just like hey he's a black belt i wouldn't want him teaching me right right but that doesn't discredit like he's not a black belt and someone will learn from him it's just not where i'm at sure so i would say like you know in the world of like it's easy to sit on the outside and talk shit we'll do something right like because that's why I say, like, hey, you want to talk shit, man? You think there's a better way? Show me your better way. And if your way's better, I'm fucking in. I'm ready to listen. But if it's not, shut the fuck up, sit in your corner, and just be a keyboard troll. Like, that's all, like, and so I go with that with you. Like, you know, obviously you're you're coming into a world where there's not a lot of information. Yep. And you are groundbreaking on that, which I always go back with. You're going to have two different worlds. You're going to have PTs that are like, Hell yeah, let's come in. Right. And then you're going to have PTs that are like, man, fuck that dude. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And so, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm telling you right now, you don't have to listen to me. This guy is amazing. There's some awesome things that are going to be coming out. Yep. Um, Obviously, we're going to have Trent on the show a lot more, right? There's, we can cover all aspects. Uh, A couple things I wanted to get to that we never got to were, you know, the the most common injuries you see. But what I want to do is I want to wrap up today. Um, you know, and, and, and have you come back on the show again? Uh, I think our, our, our listeners need to hear it. I obviously need to hear it. I learn new things from you every time. So Trent, before we leave out any shout outs you want to do people you want to thank any of that stuff. Yeah. A couple of things. One, uh, for our listeners, uh, we do have some education on our website. Um, there's uh, a whole series on common injuries in jujitsu. I go through the anatomy, some of the common injuries, and then some uh, rehab aspects. Um, we're also going to be doing some injury prevention uh, seminars. Uh, we're going to be starting with one at our, our local gym here at Tennessee Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy. Um, just really teaching people like how do you, what are some things that you should be using as part of your routine? You know, I'm all about education. Um, you know, I, I would say for shout outs, you know, obviously, Ray, to you and Harold both, I mean, you guys have taught me so much, you know, not just jujitsu, um, but there's so much of that that applies to life. You know, you know, my son, you know, you, you've been an instrumental part, both you and Harold have been an instrumental part of, of that, his growth, and, and he's an amazing young 17 year old as of a couple of days ago. Awesome. Uh, amazing young man. And he's, he's developed that because of the people that are around him. 
um, you know, I've, I've had, I've been very blessed to be around a lot of amazing clinicians, um, mentors, um, and even haters. The haters have motivated me to, to articulate better at what I do, um, and be better at what I do. And so, you know, um, and quite honestly, you know, I'm a, uh, I'm a firm believer that God has put me on a path for a reason. You know, he directed me in this whole path of ACL prevention. I'm a firm believer. I am not smart enough to do the things that I did. And it was really God speaking through me that's allowed us to do what we do. And he's allowed me to take that same passion that we did for ACL prevention and now bring that to jujitsu. And that's part of my goal is to bring that piece of it to the jujitsu community and jujitsu to our first responders. So um, I really feel blessed in everything that I do. And it's a lot of people around me, a list that would probably take another full podcast to get through. So, Oh, we're definitely going to yeah. get to it again, yeah. Trent. Um, and, and my wife, I should, I should never, yes, don't 30, 30 years of marriage with her and she is tolerating me the whole way. So listen, I always say this, yeah. I'm not afraid of Trent. Yeah. Trent's a big, scary dude. I'm afraid of his wife, who is like <laughs> the tiniest human being in the world. But yeah, I'm not messing with his all, wife. All five foot two of her. Yeah, she's, she's amazing. Yeah. Again, behind every great man, and we say this all the time, we've heard yeah. it when we were growing up, is an even greater woman. And that Amen. is so true. Amen. Listen, every every dude I've ever surrounded myself with that has been amazing. I just need to go look at their wife, man. Yeah. Their, way, their, their wife is the alpha. They're not the alpha. Uh, amen. I'll yeah. be the first, ask Harold. Yeah, I'll be the first one to admit that. So, guys, hey, thank you for listening, man. Uh, a great first podcast. Amazing. Um, I'm learning, obviously. Uh, I'm going to continue to keep learning. Yeah. Uh, but we'll have Trent, uh, Dr. Trent, I call him Trent, uh, Dr. He deserves that right. Dr. Trent Nessler back on the, on the podcast. Um, yeah, until next time, guys. Thank you.